Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. You can turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. The passage will also be on the screen overhead, but Ephesians chapter 4, over in the New Testament. We're continuing in this series. We've been in Ephesians for quite a while. And as you turn over there, I want you to read with me, beginning in verse 12. We're going to read verses 12 through 16, Ephesians chapter 4. And I preached on these several months back when we were kind of um, just beginning to introduce this. And so I'm not going to re-preach through all of it, but I want you to see this as context for what we're going to share today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. We've just finished verse 11, where we've talked about the fivefold giftings, where we have apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds, pastors, teachers. Um, shepherd, pastor, different term used for the same thing. And so he said the Lord's given these things. He gave gifts to the church as he was ascending. And he gave these, these five different categories, if you will. And he says now in verse 12, why did he give them? To equip the saints. Who are the saints? We, all of us, saints. No distinction, we're all saints. Even if we don't sometimes feel like it, or think we are. Even if that person next to you, you don't think they're a saint. If they're a believer in Jesus, they're a saint. All right? Saints, here's why. He, he did this for the equipping. Uh, the King James, if you have a King James Bible, says for the perfecting. That's a little misleading because we don't get perfect here. Um, but it's, it's an old English word, perfecting. The maturing. The equipping is not a bad word. The growing up. I think growing up is a good way to look at it because in verse 14, he talks about us not being children anymore. So this, this whole passage, there's an idea of we're growing up. We're growing up emotionally. We're growing up spiritually. We're growing up relationally. We're growing up in every way. We're growing up into Christ who is the head. It talks about that. So to equip the saints for the work, for the work of ministry, please Wage war on a myth that is very prevalent, that if you're doing God's will for your life, what he's called you to, his purpose and his calling your life, that it won't be work. You'll never work a day in your life if you enjoy what you do, if you love what you do. Hogwash. All right. I love what I do. It is still work. Okay. I had a mentor tell me one time, he said, Troy, you know, you're doing the right thing if most days you love what you do. Not every day. But most days you love what you do. There are going to be days you don't love it. And there are going to be days even when you do love it, it still feels like work. It's tiring. It's, it requires sacrifice. It requires investment. When we talk about the work of the kingdom, we talk about this thing, that the calling that God has on our life, it still is work. It, there is sacrifice involved in that. So the, the NIV, I think, translates it service. That sounds really nice, but it's still work. All right? The, for the building of the body of Christ, the work of the ministry for the and here's the work. It's building up the body of Christ, okay, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood. Here's this idea of maturing, of growing up, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We look like Christ. We grow up to begin. We look like, we think like, we operate in this life as Jesus did when he was here. So that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, every teaching, every new idea that comes along. By human cunning, and humans can be very cunning, by craftiness 
in deceitful schemes. Wouldn't you like to grow up and be like Christ when it comes to every kind of teaching, every kind of cunning, every kind of crafty scheme? You'd be able to see through it. You'd be able to see what it is. Paul says, this is what the purpose of this gifts. They're given so they can equip the church, help the church grow up, help the saints grow up, so they're involved in the work of ministry so that they are not taken captive by false teaching, by winds of doctrine, by schemes and all these different things. And he goes on, instead of being taken captive in all of that, instead of falling prey to those things, rather speaking the truth in love. This is what we're characterized by. Speaking the truth in love. There's both truth and love. I preached on this before. I'm not going to go through it all again. You can go back. That was several months ago. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint. That is a phrase I have pondered and meditated. I still meditate on because I don't fully understand all of that. But if I begin, if I'm beginning to understand it, he's saying the power of the church is, first of all, the head, Jesus, his life that flows in us. But the power for the work that he has for us here comes from the joints, comes from the connection, the attachment, the union, if you will, with other believers, each operate all very different but each operating within their own gifting together to do something that couldn't be done otherwise. By every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's, I mean, that's an incredible. Those four verses are incredible. And I think most people in their right mind, they read it and think, yeah, I want that. That sounds good. But how do you do it? Years ago, we were in the old building, and it was one Sunday I had preached, and afterward, uh, you know, and I felt like I had done a good job. Um, I, you know, back in my early days, and I made sure I had my three points, and they, I alliterated them, and you know, I went through all of that work, and you know, tried to have some facts and things in there that most people might not know. Some of those aha moments, some good illustrations, get a little tearjerker in there. I mean, all of that, all those things. And I feel like I did a good job. All right? And so I'm riding home with my dear wife, who's gentle and kind and loving. She is. She really is very gentle. So we're riding home, and she just very gently, she goes, so what? <laughs> what do you mean, so what? Clearly, you were not significantly impressed. All right? With all that I did there. She goes, it was great, Troy. She said there was a lot of information in there and it was all well put together and you spoke it well and you illustrated it. And she goes, but what am I supposed to do with it? That was hurtful and powerful all at the same time, okay? It was very, very beneficial in my life and has been every day since. It has been beneficial to me. Because sometimes we can get caught up and get and find enjoyment and pleasure, especially as speakers, and and putting it all together and the presentation of it and doing it in a way that we hope will be meaningful and will connect and you'll remember. But the most important part, really, is with anything that's truth, is what am I supposed to do with it? 
How do I live it? How shall we now live? The scripture says. I want to think about the fivefold gifting that way this morning. I'm praying that there'll be some kind of continuity. As Jim said earlier, this will be a stream and you won't just get wet. All right? I'm hoping it won't, you won't get splashed with all this like you're in the splash zone with Shamu, you know, at, at, at uh, SeaWorld. That there will be some stream. But in my mind right now, it's, it's everywhere. But I do think it's important that we try to look at what does this mean, not just to recognize and say, well, I think I have this gifting or I think I'm kind of wired this way. But what does that look like and what Paul is describing here as a church that is joined together, building itself up in love because every joint is supplying what God designed them to supply. We went through the fivefold giftings. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, or pastor. The term is used interchangeably. And teacher. As we've gone through this, how many of you would say that based on what you have seen, either this time through or in previous times through this teaching, that you have at least a general idea or thought where you might land in those fivefold. How many say you're there? Okay, that's quite a few. How many say, I'm not sure still? Okay, that's fine. That's good. Um, because I, I, I think that it's okay. Matter of fact, part of the way that God designed for us to discover these things is in the body itself. You, you begin, as you're working, as you're connecting, as you're joining together in this, as we're walking together, you begin to discover some things. So don't fret if you think, I'm not sure. And somebody may think, I'm not sure I have any of them. Oh, that's okay too. You probably do. But sometimes it's just hard. There, there are things that can stand in the way of us being able to see how God is working and moving in our life. All right? So don't, don't sweat that. I, um, and it may be as you go along, you'll also come to a place where you discover I thought I was this, but the more I look at this, matter of fact, I got an email recently. I really, all my life, had thought I was this, but as I'm going through this, I think the Lord says I'm this. And so that's okay, too. It's all right to change. It's all right to have a little more insight into how God's made you. The apostles, what are they doing within the body? What kind of atmosphere are they creating? Because all of us create atmosphere. You understand that, right? Everything creates Every one of us creates atmosphere. We create a certain level of energy or lack of energy. I don't mean that in a new agey way. I just mean that people, they bring a presence into a group of people. into Whether it's individuals or a bigger group. You are an influencer. That's maybe a better way to say it. You are, whether you think you are or not, you're an influencer. And the question is, how are you influencing? Apostles within the body and even outside the body, they can be influencers with what you might call a thriving environment or an exciting environment if you like new, if you like change, if you like to think we're always moving towards something. We're accomplishing something here. We're not just standing still. There's, there's new disciples being made. There's new activities being done. There's new, there, there are new areas that are being settled, if you will. Think of it... They create a pioneering sort of atmosphere. Now, some of you say, I don't want to be a pioneer. I like to settle. I'm a homesteader. I don't like to settle. I, that's all right. Part of what God's doing in this building is He's allowing us not only to understand how He's made us, but have appreciation for how He's made others and how they all fit together. 
So apostles are doing this. Um, with, if you feel like you have this gift of apostle, let me give you one warning. Our culture is designed to emphasize and reward production and achievement. And if you're an apostle, you probably are wired that way naturally. You're, you're just, it, it's easy for you to want to produce, to, to achieve. There's nothing wrong with that. But as one writer I read, it was very interesting to me. If you and I surrender to the rat race, we pretty soon become rats. We get on this treadmill, if we will, and it's just always pushing, it's always driving, it's always achieving, it's always accomplishing the next thing. So a big component for apostles, and I believe the thing that God often uses the apostles to do within the body is to experience and to teach the value of Sabbath. See, the reason I know this is because, though that's not my primary gifting, I have certain apostolic leanings. And in this area of being driven and wanting to accomplish and, and grab hold of things, I've spent much of my life that way. And I never appreciated the value of stopping. I never appreciated the value of Sabbath. I never appreciated the time that realized, you know what, there should be times, should be weekly times and even daily times where I'm not just pushing and driving myself and all the people around me but to understand the value and the purpose of Sabbath. You say, Sabbath, isn't that kind of a Jewish Old Testament thing? Sabbath just means it's holy, it's set apart. It means it's different than the other, where you kind of pull away from the frantic pace and all the things that you do normally in your life to be able to take time to slow down to see what God has done and what He is doing. And often we don't do this, and we are the worst for it. As a nation, we're the word. we go continually here. We're, we're the nation that never stops. We also take more antidepressants and tranquilizers. Even though we're smaller than many nations, we take more than the rest of the world combined. Or not combined, but all the other nations of the world. We're trying to find a way to deal with something that God says, I want to build this into your life anyway. We'll talk more at a different time about what Sabbath can look like. But it's important, it's vital. And for years, I just didn't do it. I didn't, feel, I didn't have time to take time. How many of you feel that way? I don't have time to take time. Yeah, you, you understand what I mean? I don't have time to take time. You don't have time not to. Apostles, be aware of the rat race. Prophets, you're hearing God, and because of that, you're wanting to create a liberating atmosphere. A liberating environment. Freedom. Because hearing God's voice is the key to freedom. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word, by the rhema, by the revelation of God, of Jesus Christ. So, you're wanting to create this liberating environment where you're hearing, other people are hearing, and we're responding to what we're hearing, and we're lining up our lives accordingly. We deal with sin. Personal and social. These things aren't consistent with what God is saying. So we want to deal with them in our lives. We want to encourage others to deal with it. That's the reason, prophets, you can be so valuable. Let me demonstrate it here. How many of you as believers would say that you 
have made this statement at some time in your Christian life, and maybe even saying it now. I want to hear God. I believe that God wants to communicate to me, but I'm not confident or sure what it really sounds like to hear God. How many would say you identify with that? Raise your hand if that's you. If it has been or is you now. Has been or is you now. Yeah, see, that's most of us. We don't know often. We say we want to hear God. But then we start talking about hearing God. How do you hear God? And did he, I mean, what does he sound like? Does he sound like James Earl Jones? I mean, what does he sound like when he speaks? And that's what I picture. I mean, God's going to speak. I, don't, I mean, he's not Pee Wee Herman, I can tell you that. I mean, it's got to be James Earl. All right? We laugh, but I'm telling you that for many who are believers, and especially for people who are believers, it's just, it's just unknown to them what it means to hear God. is What does He sound like? And we laugh about a funny illustration, but the reality is many people are going through their life and thinking, I don't know what it means to hear God. Prophets, you have such a vital role within the body. As you're experiencing it and as you're sharing it with others. And, and you're giving them creativity because there's a lot of different ways that God speaks to us. And we all hear Him a little differently. But you're helping create environment and atmosphere that's liberating in that way. Because it's freeing when you begin to know, I'm hearing God. He's communicating to me through, the, through His revealed Word, through Scripture, through His Spirit, through other people in my lives. But He's communicating. With, with our evangelists, you're helping the church in many ways be hospitable. You think, what? The thing about an evangelist is they want to create a welcoming environment. Wherever they are. Because what they want is people to feel comfortable enough so that we can enter into the story. God's story and their story. You, you spend time with anybody who's really a good evangelist. And we have a number within our church. And by the way, in all of these, you may not be called to them. You may not be called to be an apostle, but as a church, we should be apostolic. You may not be a prophet, we should be prophetic. You may not be an evangelist, but we should be evangelistic. Do you understand the difference? We, you may not have that calling, but as a church, we should have that culture. So, you spend some time around them, and I have. I, I'd like to spend time around people who are really good evangelists. They create a welcoming atmosphere where story can take place. They're not usually what you picture, the ones I've been around. They don't come up to a complete stranger, get them up against a wall and say, do you know Jesus? Repent now, buddy, or you're going to bust hell wide open. Here, let me tell you how to do this. Pray this prayer. That's not, if that's your method, I'm sorry, okay? If that's your method, we need to help you, all right? Um, but there are, there may be some like that, but really those who have this gifting in evangelism, they are not that way. They are creating atmosphere. It could be on a bus, like Pastor Paul, who goes and he takes others and just has an atmosphere there where you begin to have a conversation with somebody. And you ride the bus a few weeks in a row, you see the same people. You begin to have conversations with. You begin to hear some of what's going on, some of the challenges, struggle in their life. You say, can I pray for that? You know, then you begin to have an opportunity to share a little bit of your own story in all of it. It's not forced. It's not weird. It's not strange. It's welcoming. It's a welcoming environment. It can happen wherever you happen to be. And what the evangelist does for us is you say, well, I don't think I could ever ride a bus. Okay, maybe, maybe I think you can, but let's set that aside for a moment. God's calling you 
just start in your own neighborhood. Create a welcoming environment for the people that live around you or the people that you work with or the people that you go to school with, wherever you happen to be. You're creating this welcoming environment where story can take place. God's story and their story and your story, they all kind of come together. Shepherds, pastors, we want to create a healing environment. We want that internal stuff to be healed. So you're wanting peacemaking to take place. You're wanting confession to take place, but probably not the way you're thinking when you hear the word confession. I don't mean a, a litany of your sins. Oh God, please forgive me of this. I did this, 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 this wrong. I don't mean confession in that. Uh, I mean, that's, that could be a part of confession. But confession in the sense of you have the ability both with God and with other people that you're living life with, that you can talk about your strengths and your weaknesses. You can talk about your victories and your losses. You can talk about the things that you're excited about and the doubts that you just don't know what to do with. You're able to confess. You're able to live in a way where, where life is free that way. And you don't share it and then just stay under it, but you do live in victory. You do live in peace. You do live with joy. You do have His love abiding in you and flowing through you. Shepherds do that. They want to create this healing environment. Teachers, they want to create a learning environment. There is so much that we need to know because there is... Knowledge is not a bad thing. It just can't be the first thing. You say, well, why do you say that? First Peter tells me that. First Peter tells me, add to, or second Peter tells me, add to your faith virtue, excellence, moral excellence. And add to your virtue or your moral excellence, knowledge. And then it goes on that list. And when it gets through with the list, it says if these things abide in you and remain, you will not be barren or unfruitful. It's a promise. If you don't know what that list is, you ought to look at it. It says, if these things remain and abide in you, you will not be barren or unfruitful. But it doesn't put knowledge first. It says faith comes first, then virtue, then knowledge. But knowledge is vital. And teachers have this heart, this desire to connect you with the sacred story, to connect you with the text, to connect you with the truth, to have you be a learner of all types of things that relate back to what God has revealed. So they're vitally important in all of this. Now, what does this look like at LifePoint Church? I'm going to talk for a minute with you, okay? I'm not saying that we're doing anything other than I'm just talking. I'm sharing with you. I'm dreaming a little bit with you. I'm going to be a little apostolic in this, all right? I'm dreaming a little bit with you. I believe personally where God's been stirring in my heart, where he's been leading me, and it's taken me a long time to get here, that for most of my life as a Christian and most of my ministry, I have put all of the emphasis on what happens right here in this space. What happens at 1045 on Sunday morning when we're all gathered here. And this is vitally important. I'm not minimizing it, nor am I going to neglect it. But what God's stirring in my heart is if I believe what he's saying in Ephesians 4, that this is incomplete. This isn't enough. If this is all we have, both at LifePoint or anywhere else in the church, anywhere in the, in the country, anywhere in the world, if this is it, then we don't 
grow the way the body's intended to grow. And again, I'm not talking about numerical growth. That has been an emphasis in the American church. So we have focused on numerically growing this gathering, and we've called that success. We've called that meaningful Christian living. It's not what Ephesians calls it. What if, as and I believe we should continue to do this. I'm not stopping this 1045, all right? Please don't go out and start nasty rumors, okay? And we're not going to be sloppy about it. There's excellence. Anything we want to do, we want to do with excellence. I'm still going to study. The worship team is still going to practice, all right? We're still going to do those things. But what if there's other elements that the Lord wants to happen that don't happen in this room? They don't happen at 1045. What if every person in this room was part of a, of a growth group, if you will, of a discipleship group, of a life group, of a small group, of a place where we begin to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and say, how do we really live that out? Where we ask the question that Lori asked me all those years ago, so what? We read it, so what? What does it practically look like? Because it sounds really good when we read it. We all say yes. Every, every Christian in America, that's great. Yes, we want that. And then we start trying to initiate certain programs or, or things to be able to, so schemes to accomplish all of that. And the Lord said, wait a second, I had a plan all the way back in the beginning of the church. I had a plan the way I wanted to do this. What if you were in this room today and there were you and three or four other people that God brings to your mind? Some of them you may know, some of them you may not know be better if you didn't know them, probably. And you had these three or four, five, six people said, let's get together once a week. And here's how we're going to start. We're going to get together each week, maybe in a home somewhere or wherever. It really, I mean, the gathering place is not all that important, although I like homes personally. I think that's the shepherding part of me. It, it's homey. All right. It's welcoming. It's just I like homes. Unless you have an unwelcoming, unhomey home, and then that's probably enough. But, but, so here's the thing. You gather together, these people. We say, what are we going to do? We're going to do a Bible study? You, eventually, probably. But don't start there. What if you just get together and say, you know what? I don't know you, you don't know me. Let's take each week and each person's going to share their story. Some of you are headed for the door right now, aren't you? It's like, I am gone, he has lost his mind, and I quit. I know, I know. I'm telling you, I think, this is my thought, I believe, the more I'm just, I've been in Ephesians for a year, over a year now, just just wrestling with it. I believe God's calling us. It's not something that's really new, because it's been around for a long time, it's just new to most of us. But the ability to be able to sit down and begin to go back and say, where are you from? Here's where I'm from. A little bit, what was your family like? What was important in your family? Where did you encounter Jesus? Have you encountered Jesus? Because at times we may have people come to our group, they haven't encountered Him yet. They're trying to figure out who He is. That's okay. Say, well, I don't know that I have encountered Him. I'm trying to figure out who He is. That's okay. There's room for that. 
Isn't there? Isn't there room for people? My children were educating me on what LBJ, what are all the letters? LBJTQ, all that, what what all that means. And I I didn't know what, I thought Q meant something else. And my kids like, no, Dad, Q does not mean that. It means this, questioning. Okay, and if if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask somebody young. They'll explain it to you, okay? But you know what? In that sense, I'm not sure I, I love their questioning, but here's the thing. When it comes to who God is, it's okay to let people question. To be questioning. I don't know who God is. I'm trying to figure this thing out. Do we give them room to be able to do that? To ask questions? To say, why do you do this? Why do you read your Bible? What's the point? Why do you do this? Why do you gather this way? Why do you use these weird words? Why do you do that? Let them ask questions. To be able to do this in community, to be able to get to know what a... If you have five or six people in this, it'll take you five or six weeks to go around to each one. And there may be a few who join you along the way, so now it may take you 10 or 12 weeks, depending on how big your group gets as you go, because you can invite whoever you want. Come be part of this. They could be within these four walls. They could be outside these four walls. As you're going along and you begin to get to know each other, you begin to understand people's story, where they come from. Then someone says, you know, I really love it when we just dig into God's Word together on something. So, say, okay, let's do that. Let's, let's pick a book in the Bible. I don't recommend starting with Revelation, but, you know, pick one, all right? Maybe one of the Gospels or, you know, something. Maybe the book of Ephesians. Maybe the book of Acts. Right? You know, maybe one of the Old Testament books. But pick a book. And you start reading. Everybody's reading it. Nobody necessarily is the quote teacher, leader, but maybe you designate, you know, one week, so-and-so, you come in and kind of guide the conversation and what you heard the Lord, and then others will have the opportunity to do that as well. You just kind of go around. As you're doing this, you're going to begin to notice who the teachers are in the group. They're going to stand out. You're going to begin to notice who the shepherds are. They're going to stand out. You're going to notice some of the apostles and you're going to notice some of the... You're going to see these different things that are going to begin to happen. And as you're going along, somebody, maybe one of the apostles or one of the prophets are saying, you know, here's the need that's come to my attention. And I feel like God's stirring something. And maybe, maybe we could pray about as a group doing something to address that need. Maybe there's, there was a veteran's need that we saw and we want to help vets in this way. Maybe you're gathering and you're over by FIT and you decide, you know what? What if we did once a month dollar dinner nights for college kids who are broke, you know, and and you could come in and we provide a meal. The only the only requirement is that you sit needed. It's not a to go. It's not a takeout deal. You just have to sit. And we have conversations. Find out who they are, their story, where they're from, why they're here, what they hope to do, where they're going, what's important to them, what hurts them. It begins to grow. Pretty soon, you don't fit in your space anymore. You've added one or two here or there, and they've come along, and they don't fit in the space. And so, some come along and say, you know what? God's stirring within me to multiply, to birth something new. So you go start another one. Maybe there are a few who go with you, but they bring in others. And this group, begin, they bring in others. You're always looking here too, in this group. Is there anybody out there on the perimeter? They're not, they're not connecting. 
You say, well, pastor, if they're not connecting, it's because they don't want to. That may be true, but there may be something else that's standing in the way. Can we help them identify it? I mean, there's some practical things that would stand in the way. I was at a gathering yesterday and a baby, uh, um, for Logenica where we had a lot of children who were like six and under. I'm thinking if you were doing this in a home as a small group, if you had four or five of these couples together, they got 12 kids under six. That's a hard dynamic, all right? Especially as we get older. When you're young, you, you deal with that better. You get older, you don't deal with it as well. That's a legitimate issue that often keeps people from doing life together. How are we going to solve it? What's the answer to that? Some of you say, I, every time I go into a group like that, I feel nervous or afraid or tense. Or, Okay, that's legitimate. We're not denying it. How are we going to help you overcome it? There are legitimate reasons why we don't do this. But I believe the day has come to quit having reasons why we don't and say, Lord, we want to do. We want to practice what we say we believe. We want to live it. We want to do life together. Every joint providing what is needed. Still having these gatherings, but you know what these are? These are celebrations of all of that work and life and ministry that's going on out there. This is just a gathering to celebrate that. And then we go back out there. I never had this vision. I never had this perspective as a young man. I wanted to be a CEO. I wanted church to be really, really big so people would think I was successful. And then I wanted to have lots of people between me and you so I would never have to talk to you. All right? That's what I wanted. Just being honest. Too late. Yes, it is. Too late. That is not God's plan. That's not His structure. You can't read Ephesians and come away with that picture in your mind. I did, somehow. But you can't honestly go through this and really allow it to sink down deep and come away with that perspective. He intends us to live life together. You say, but people have hurt me. I know that. That's one of the things that's going to happen in these groups. Because there are going to be some shepherds in these groups. And they're going to recognize that you've been hurt. They're going to come alongside and try to walk with you and say, here's some things that God's done for me. Here's maybe some things God might want to do for you. Here's some resources that are available. Here's, here's what I did when I was in that situation. I don't know that it pertains exactly to you or you do it exactly the same way, but this might help. I do that all the time for people. But as this expands, I can do it for fewer and fewer. And then it it dawns on me as I'm, as I'm going through this, the Lord said, Troy, you dummy, I never intended you to do it for all. I intended all to do it for all. I intended the body to build itself up in love. To grow up. I guess, I guess the title for today's message would be, let's grow up. It's not always easy to grow up. But it's worth it. We came home yesterday. Elizabeth was in the kitchen. She was baking. She likes to bake. She had flour out and sugar out and different flavoring things out and different things going on, all kinds of ingredients. All the ingredients individually, they're fine. They're okay. 
But you probably wouldn't just pick them up and eat them. But she puts them all together. She mixes them. She adds a little heat. Then she has something that think that's way better than all the individual separately. Now, you say, oh, that's what I want. She also had a mess all over the kitchen. Okay? And you need to get ready for that. Because what we're talking about here is messy. It's messy. Doing life with people is messy. But it'll clean up. My kitchen cleaned up. So will these groups. So will we. We'll clean up. We'll grow up. We'll learn together. So don't go in it with rose-colored glasses. I am not trying to lead you like the Pied Piper. Alright? It's not easy. There will be things, there will be challenges to overcome. I guess my challenge to you today, because I'm more and more convinced of this in my heart, my challenge is you, with you today, what about you? Do you want to be part of the body of Christ that looks like that? That grows up? That supplies? Where you know, where you experience the fact that God made you certain ways, and He designed you, not by mistake, but on purpose because He knew how He wanted to fit you with the whole. Maybe you're not, maybe you don't think that you're that significant or that vital. I, one of the things I've noticed, I'm not really a baker. If you can't grill it, matter of fact, if it didn't bleed before you started, I probably don't fix it, alright? Alright, but if you don't grill it, I don't usually cook it. But I've watched bakers. I've watched people who bake. I found that there's an interesting ingredient. They use a very small amount, but so many recipes seem to call for this one ingredient. Well, salt is one. That wasn't the one I was thinking about, but that's another one. Sugar, you know, we usually have a lot of sugar, all right? We don't have a little bit of sugar, all right? Vanilla. Vanilla. They sell it in these little tiny bottles unless you buy it from Mexico, then you get it by the quart. But, um... Little tiny bottles, because you just use a little, you know, it just calls for a little bit. But you ever had something that called for vanilla and you didn't put it in there? You think, something's missing. That little bit of vanilla. Some of you think you don't matter. And I would say that in the body here, something's missing because you do matter. You're the vanilla. It's work. You're going to have sacrifice. There's some things you're going to have to lay down, some things you're going to have to reprioritize to do life this way. I'm telling you, you just will. I'm not saying that you're to be a workaholic. I'm not saying that you neglect everything else. I'm not saying that you don't have priorities and values and schedules. And go. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just simply saying that anything that's worthwhile will cost you something. This is no different. But I think it's worth doing. I'm praying and I'm, I'm in consulting others within just the body itself. I'm listening. I'm, doing a lot, I'm asking a lot of questions. I'm doing a lot of listening, jotting things down, hearing a lot of different stuff, trying to process, Lord, what are you doing with all this? But I believe as we walk through, especially next year, the Lord's going to call us to take some steps, walk by faith. Some have already started that. Some things are already happening now. You don't know about it, but some, some trial things that are going on to try to just to discern, God, what are you doing? How does this all fit into the whole? But I believe next year we'll begin to implement some of those on a, on a wider scale. And I want to challenge you today, though, to believe that God wants to call you to something greater. And He wants us to do church, not stop what we know, 
Just add to it a better part. Just have a little different focus and emphasis as we do it. I'm challenging you just like I'm being challenged. Because there's a part of me that wants to run back to my CEO mentality and say, let's just do the, the pro, whatever program we need to that people like so they'll come. We can get rear ends in a seat. You know, we can count heads. We can tell people we had more this year than we had last year. We can build another something because churches always seem to get excited about building something. I've been doing this a long time. I'm tired of doing church the way we do church. Because I believe God's got so much more. But there is a part of me that would like to go back to that because I think it's simpler in some ways. It's easier. It's not better, just easier. I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask them to come. Would you ask the Lord... you ask him today, Lord, are you calling me to something more? More than I've known, more than I've seen, more than I've experienced. Some of you have tasted this before. You've experienced it. You've done it. Maybe this has been a part of your Christian life all your life. And you think, Troy, you're preaching to the choir. Great. You can help those of us who haven't seen it as much. Some of you, maybe like me, have tasted little bits of it here and there. It's like occasionally you've experienced life this way, but it's not a consistent thing. And some of you say, Troy, I have never seen anything like what you're talking about. It's hard for me to imagine. But wherever you are in this, would you be willing to say, Lord, here I am. I say yes to you. I say yes to your plan. I say yes to your structure, your church, your way. I say yes. And I believe you've got a part for me in it and that it's meaningful, it's significant. It may not look like somebody else's part, but it's like that vanilla. It's vital. It makes all the difference in the world. The Lord is the great artist. He's painting a masterpiece. But He uses all the colors. He puts them where and when and how He wants to. Because He can see what He's making. You and I can't. So what do we do? Well, we certainly don't jump off the easel and say, I don't understand what you're doing, so I'm not participating. No. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Lord, help us today. Help me. I don't understand, Lord, all of what this looks like. I think you've given little pictures, little glimpses here and there. And Lord, none of us are naive enough to think it'll be easy. But I do believe it's worth it. You're worth it. So help us.
Lord, join us together by Your Spirit. Cause us to be united in speaking truth and love. Each joint providing what the body needs so it can grow, so it can mature, be healthy, and reproduce. Lord, thank You that You don't leave us where we are. Lord, thank You that You didn't leave me in that place of thinking that being a church CEO was what it was all about. I recognize, Lord, the fallacy of that. Lord, right now, those who are surrendering, they're saying, yes, Lord, I want to be part of whatever it is You're doing. I'm willing to listen to your voice. I'm willing to surrender. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to adjust. I'm willing to grow and to grow up. To overcome. I'm willing. And Lord, I pray that you would do something supernatural by your spirit and that willingness and that response to you that you would pour out your grace. You would do what they can't even imagine right now. Lord, what I can't imagine right now. And I thank you that that's what you're doing. We give this to you, Lord, because it's yours to begin with. You're the head. We're just all the different parts and members that are growing up into you. So we thank you because you're a good head. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.